0: Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey here with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. In our first show, we introduced the idea of life on purpose. What is it? How to find it? How to attempt to live every day with it. Today, we're going to take a look at finding purpose by completing a pilgrimage, specifically the Camino de Santiago. We are joined today with our good friend Donna Richardson. A couple years ago, she and Christy completed 390 miles of the 490 pilgrimage across Spain. So good morning to you both. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well. Well, good
2: morning Mark. I'm doing well. (laughs) Happy birthday, buddy.
0: Well, thank you. (laughs) So the first question I'd like to ask is what is a pilgrimage? How is it different from a vacation or a long hike?
1: Well, a pilgrimage is one way that a person can find purpose. Literally by its definition, um, defined as a pilgrimage is a long journey or a quest to a spiritual, sacred, or historic place for the purpose of finding meaning and depth in our lives. There are many spiritual pilgrimages throughout the world, but the commonality of all of them is that they attract seekers, people that are on a journey or a quest to find an answer to a life question, to soothe grief. Um, to get some direction, take a break from life, recharge their spirit. Um, any, but any individual that is undertaking a pilgr- pilgrimage is referred to as a pilgrim. Now, pilgrims have a desire to connect with someone or something inside themselves, and uh, they need to break away from home and comfortable surroundings to go to someplace unfamiliar and to travel a sacred path. And that's important to them, and that they have a spiritual draw to. So again, there's many, many different pilgrimages throughout the world. And what we're going to talk about today is specifically one of the top five, which is the Camino de Santiago. Okay. But indeed. most that pilgr- again, most pilgrimages have a significant religious importance. Um, but more importantly than the religious theology is the spiritual connection that the individual has to that pilgrimage. So it's not a vacation or a hike or a race to the finish. It's a journey. Um, type of spiritual quest, if you will.
0: Okay, and do you have like a brief history of the Camino de Santiago?
1: Well, let me share a little bit of a history um, and present it to you as a story, one of more of a folklore or mythology, not necessarily religiously or scientifically accurate, even though uh, what I'm gonna count to most believe that this to be true, but there are some disparities in it. (laughs) Well, first of all, it started with the crucifixion of Jesus. James, one of the disciples, um, and all the disciples, after the crucifixion, left and went back to their went to their homeland. And James's homeland is the current province of Galicia. And he left with the Marys, which, um, if they did or did not go with him, is a huge debate. That's one of the historic things. But for the purpose of our history, we're going to say the Marys went with him. Okay. They traveled to France and made their way across Spain on the path that's currently referred to as the Camino Francis. It's the most popular and most traveled of the many paths to Santiago. And from France to the cathedral in Santiago is 490.3 miles. And believe me, that 0.3 miles <laughs> matters when you're walking for 34 days. Now, James lived and evangelized there until 42 AD when he returned to Jerusalem and was beheaded by Herod. Then James' disciples wanted to return him to Spain to be buried. But the queen, who was conspiring with the Romans, wanted to destroy the body rather than lay it to rest in Finisterre. And after a lot of resistance, the queen finally decided that if his disciples could kill a wild bull without being killed themselves, that she would allow them to, be, to bury him in Santiago. You know, not sure if that's still the current day fascination with the running the bulls in Pablona. But nonetheless, they conquered the bull, and James was buried and laid there to rest until 813. Now, during those years between 42 AD and 813, there was a decline in the Roman Empire. The Franks, and my personal favorite, the Gauls, created much chaos in the land, and the Moors, which was the Western Islamic Empire, swiftly gained a stronghold in the area. Then in 813, a shepherd was working in his field and saw a bright light, or what he considered a star, and he was compelled to see where he was led. When he arrived at the small burial site, he inquired to a local priest as to who was buried on the site. He was then told it was the disciple of Jesus, James. Thinking that this was not a fitting end for such a disciple of Jesus, he began working with a local bishop that worked with the Pope in Rome, and they erected a small church. And today has grown to the Cathedral of Santiago, which is a quite massive, uh, pretty impressive structure. The story of this grew, and by 880 AD, thousands of people began walking in the footsteps of the disciple and the Camino de Santiago, which is interpreted the way of St. James, trek began. Now, pilgrims have been walking these same footsteps ever since. Roughly about 200,000 people make the trek each year, even though only about 10, less than 10% of them actually start in France.
2: Mm.
1: Now, we could do a whole show on the 1,100 years that people have been walking the trek, Some of the most notable things are the Knights of the Templars. They had many purposes and there's been a lot of movies and and, um, folklore that goes along with the Knights of the Templar. Um, But one of their primary focuses was to protect the pilgrims as they walked the Camino of Francis. Pope Pope Clement V and his significance and the demise of the Templars. The miracles that made St. James a saint, I think there were 25 of them that happened after his death um, helping the Christians de- defeat the Moors, and why he is today the patron saint of Spain. Charlemagne and Roland and the blowing of their horn, and of course, Hemingway and his love of Pablona and the things that he wrote there. And there's so many other different things of the time period, but it's kind of a brief overall history of the religious significance of the pilgrimage. Hmm.
0: Well, that's pretty fascinating. I bet you there's as many books as there's people traveling.
1: (laughs) There are, but you know, there's not a lot of movies. You know, the movie The Way with Martin Sheen is probably the most popular and the most current, um, where he actually walks the entire way as they film it. Um, There's a few books. uh, Probably one of the most popular is Charlotte McLean's book and her recount of the incredible things that she experienced while she was walking the Camino in the 80s.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So, well, it, building on that, so is there certain rituals or traditions that you do while you're on the uh, pilgrimage?
1: Well, let's see. There's, there's several things that are kind of ritualistic in, in our traditions. You've got your pilgrim's passport, uh, the scallop shell that you carry, carrying stones for people, and, um, of course, your compostella, which is uh, your certificate of completion. Donna, you want to talk about the pilgrim's, pilgrim's passport and what it is?
2: Sure, yeah. The passport is... Basically, it's a passport that you get at the beginning of your journey. And you get two stamps, at least two stamps a day. And every place you stop along the way, even like the little bars and the albergues, every place has their own unique stamp. And you get the stamps on the pages in your passport. And that signifies you actually did this journey and were in these places.
0: Okay. So you have to go to each one of these places mm-hmm. or you, does you, you, everybody have a well, stamp? Oh, uh,
2: pretty much everybody has a stamp.
1: Churches have stamps. We were surprised. Well, well, you go every- through an
2: archway. It's like a, a significant archway. There's a little place where their yeah. stamp is and their stamp pad and their stamp and you can put oh, their no, stamp okay. on your passport. Yeah, it's a big deal. And a donation there's, box. Yeah, it's exactly. a donation <laughs> box. Yeah, always a donation box. Always a
0: donation yeah, so
1: there's, box. Yeah, so there's definitely, they're everywhere. And, you, and you're required to get to a day, which generally is going to be someplace that you eat. Um, and someplace that you stay so you get to a day but they're you know they're all over and
2: it it actually got become quite fun to yeah it was a challenge to see how many different stamps we could get a day and how many out of the way stamps we could find that other people probably wouldn't have right huh
0: and so when you uh, present this at the end then they go through it and see if
1: Right, yeah. To get your Compostela, you actually have to present your passport and right. prove that you walked the last 15 kilometers. But they, they... And these people know the stamps. Um, <laughs> trust me. Especially on the way to Finisterre, There's a separate Compostela when you go to Finisterre, and there's a separate passport. And they, they check them with a the fine-tooth comb. They check the dates and the stamps and the legitimacy of where they were. And um, it was quite a deal to... Um, Quite a deal to, t- to turn it in. And it wasn't just simply, oh, yeah, here you go. Um, but one of, the, one of the other things is the scallop shell. Okay. And it's probably the most iconic symbol of the Camino. And there are many legends and myths to explain its significance. But the most popular metaphor is that the lines on the scallop shell represent all the routes that pilgrims, pilgrims take traveling from all over the world leading to the tomb of St. James. Now, uh, interesting thing is during medieval times... Pilgrims used it for more practical purpose. They actually replaced their bowl um, with the scallop shell because churches would feed pilgrims back in that time. And so it was a way that they could measure out quantities and it was a way that they didn't have to carry a scallop shell and a bowl. Um, Today, it's not only used as way markers, which is painted everywhere to kind of mark your path so you can follow the route. Um, It's definitely a defining symbol for a pilgrim. And you have to have one attached to your pack to get into, to stay, in, do the same as a passport, to get into some of the albergues to stay, which is kind of like a hostel, mm-hmm. sort of. And um, you, you're you required, pretty much, to have this, this scallop shell. And and in doing the path and then passport, um, the whole point
2: is to get your Compostela.
0: Okay. So, so explain a little bit about what the Compostela is.
2: Compostela is a certificate that you get at the completion of at least the last 115 kilometers of the way. You go to, there's a little office in Santiago, and you complete your journey. You go into the office, and you stand in line, and you'll hand over your passport to an attendant, and they will go over the passport, and they go over them very pretty thoroughly. <laughs> and then they, it's in Latin, and they actually calligraphy, fill in your dates, and right out of completion. And there's, there's such an atmosphere in the office of admiration and respect. And all of the attendants there, you can tell it means something to them that these people are coming in after doing this trek. And there's a level of respect there that I just thought was really, I mean, if you're doing this day after day, year after year, it would seem like it might get to be old hat or mm-hmm. ordinary. But at it, the it, same time, it always felt like they never lost the value.
0: Really? And so what, never of what just this be... journey
2: meant to these people who were doing it.
0: Uh, so it just didn't become a job.
2: Mm-hmm. No,
1: right. Well, and they've been passing out the Compostela since 1100. And we actually saw one in the museum that was almost identical to ours that was dated
2: 1401, which was pretty moving.
0: That is pretty moving. Yeah. Oh. That's something
2: else. Yeah, and as uh, Christy mentioned, there is a separate Compostela for making the trek from Santiago to Finisterre. Because you
1: need a separate passport. Oh, you have a separate. You get a separate passport. A separate passport. passport. Okay.
2: Because you don't have to have a
1: separate passport. We we opted to have a separate passport, but you can continue on, I guess, with the passport that you have. But you only have to complete the last 115 kilometers to be eligible for your Compostela. And but of course, we started in France. So you can actually start and stop along the way, and people do it in sections, kind of like they do the Appalachian Trail, for example, over the course of years. Okay. Um, you can do sections, or you can only do part of sections. Like one of the, we did not do uh, the section of the Medesa, which was pretty much from Burgos to Lyon, because, one, well, there's a few reasons, but one of the main reasons was because they, people kept telling us it's like walking across Kansas. Well, I don't even like driving across Kansas. So I was really not too interested in walking across Kansas. And we needed to make up some days. Um, so we ended up not walking that section. And so you can start and stop and, and pick and choose based on your path, your, what you're getting out of it and what you want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You only are required to walk the last 115 kilometers.
0: So that's the only part that's actually a must. Correct. So now along with walking the path one of the things that you brought up is you carry stones uh, for yourself and others. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, this, I, I think I took a little bit more seriously than Donna did, or a little bit more literal than <laughs> Donna did. She was a lot smarter than I did. Um, you the again, the, the idea is that you carry the stone in your pocket at home um, that it kind of collects your burdens, and you then take it and leave it on a fence post or and there's rock piles everywhere along where people have left stones and it's believed that you can release your burdens, release your sins and all will be forgiven. And many, many years ago, people that could not do the journey, people were carrying stones for them. So for us, we took a stone for ourselves, and we took a stone for people that we were close to and we carried those stones. And the smart one here, she actually started
2: getting rid of her stones. We weren't even out of France yet, and she's dumping her stones, right? Well, my fa- my entire family had their birthdays while I was on the Camino. So a lot of it was on their birthday. Oh, okay. That's when I would release their stone.
1: Yeah, I did not. I carried every stone, every step, all the way to Finisterre, back to San Diego, and back to Finisterre again before I finally released... My stones.
0: <laughs> well, I think but that's...
1: Yeah. But it's a pretty... It's, it, it is, it's very symbolic. It's very symbolic for you, and it's very symbolic for those... At least it was for me. It was it was really important thing. It was one of the most important things for me that I did that I really felt connected to the people that I was close to. And, you know, some of them... Um, you know, one, he had lost his daughter that year, and so they actually picked a stone... For her, mm. and so I kind of walked it for him and his wife, but I ox- it was her stone, so there were things that it really, really meant something to me, and uh, it was just really hard for me to let go of them, really, and to find what that perfect place uh, for them to release was. And
0: um, well, I think it'd be pretty interesting to see, and I don't know if this is the way it is, but other piles of stones or are- just stones laying around. You know, I guess you'd be connected to everybody else prior to you putting stones in.
1: Sure. Well, that's one thing. We'll post on... Uh, anybody who's listening and wants to hop over and just click on the adapter, go to our website. <coughs> I'll post some pictures because we have some really good pictures of uh, carrying the stones and Donna placing the stone on a fence post and, you know, and that sort of thing. we got some pretty good pictures of them.
0: Oh, yeah. So, one of the things that I'd like to know more about is what epiphanies did you guys have along the way the beginning middle and end you know I, I think one of the things that most people think that you ha- you have these life altering things that go on and maybe you did maybe you didn't can you talk well, a little bit about that especially if you
1: read Shirley McLean's book because if you read Shirley McLean's book and her reenactment of what happened to her along the camino I mean it was it's pretty unbelievable and so meeting that expectation uh, didn't happen. But I wouldn't say I had any epiphanies, but I, I would say that I had some powerful past life memories and feelings that I didn't understand, nor do they make sense. And it probably wasn't for a year or so after that that certain <coughs> things came into order and I was able to put together a pretty good picture of what those things, um, what those things meant together uh, it hasn't come together and it still doesn't make any sense to me of why I had them, but um, nonetheless I did. But there are certainly other things that were life-changing. Um, you know, I live my life from a far better sense of gratitude today than I did before that. I think while walking um, most days, one of the things that I did was I walked for a specific person. I, I put my intention on someone that meant something to me. And I focused that day on, you know, what things that they might have liked about the day, memories I had of them, things that sparked interest, um, maybe some things I needed to let go of. And I spent a lot of time on what I was grateful for with that person. And I walked every day, well, maybe not every day, because some days we had such bad weather that, (laughs) you know, just simply making it through the day was as best we could do. But I really tried to journal about those things every night. Which was kind of interesting because I got my journal out this week and day one I walked for you, Mark. <laughs> I hadn't remembered that, but I read all through that. It was just kind of fun.
0: I know. You told me about that. I thought that was great. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, because it was really nice to talk to people about those things when I got home and say, you know, day one or day two or day five or day 20 or whatever, um, I walked it for you. For gratitude of you being in my life and focusing on and being in a spiritual place and... Trying to reconnect with that because you so lose that, mm-hmm. right in our everyday life. Um,
0: you so become been, real disconnected. So what, a,
2: what about you, Donna? I didn't I did not really have any epiphanies, and I really wanted a Sherman Klein experience.
0: <laughs> I, did you feel cheated out of that? Is that? <laughs> I, I do not.
2: What I learned was that was not my experience. I think um, the one of the deepest things that I got from the whole trip was you. Know, we went there. I mean, Christy and I have done a lot of arduous, strenuous physical activity. Mm -hmm. And we were going to walk this every step of the way. And that wasn't happening for us. I mean, we both had physical issues, things happened. And for me, coming to terms with the fact that completing this journey was not the way it was in my mind of how we were going to complete this journey. Completing this journey took a different path for us. And there were buses and trains (laughs) and layovers and detours. And once I got to the point where I could accept that that was okay, it was not cheating, as Bart the Belgian biker would have told us the first (laughs) couple of times we met him, that this journey was our journey to complete in the way that it unfolded for us. And once I got to the point where I let things unfold then I could really appreciate the experience and live each moment in that day. I don't do that very well. And when the day gets broken down to food and shelter and bathrooms, (laughs) those kind of things, when that's what your whole focus is, everything slows down and the important things come to the surface. So that's basically what I got out of the whole journey
1: yeah definitely life became very simple i mean it, it definitely overnight you know we leave paris and we train to um
2: southern, yeah Saint-Jean-Pierre. Saint-Jean-Pierre.
1: and we set out on our journey and the world changed you know in a day in a, in an instant really because now every, you know we, well, there were three of us who actually went and we started together and we we, we broke away from Maggie and Pablona, and um, we were just kind of on a different journey than mm-hmm. she was. And, um, you know, she was, a in, in the end, she was almost two weeks behind us. And just the weather, just the weather. She had one day of partial rain, and we were two weeks, and, and she had people all the time, which was important to her. That's what she wanted. She wanted to go out. And and spend time with people and and mingle with different people, and for us, we went day after day after day, and never saw another person. We didn't see anybody in towns. We didn't see anybody anywhere. There and was we got rain and we, snowed uh, on every day. <laughs> we had we we had four and a half foot of snow in the Pyrenees. We had d- several days that snow was accumulating on our body. It was snowing so badly. We had um, numerous rain days, but the last nine days, we had like hurricane rain 24 7. And when we would read in the book of what we were going to experience Delightful today, Woodland it's, Path. It's, yeah, so yeah. that was a delightful woodland path. Yeah. When it's rained for nine days, it is a muddy, sloppy, slippery, coming down the mountain river trek. It was, it was. <laughs> brutal at, at days but
0: um well i guess that would bring up a it, my next question you, when you started the the pilgrimage you probably had an idea of what this was going to be so what significance of the pilgrimage between the first day and the end what was what was the difference between them what was your vision versus your reality
1: Well, I think day one, the realization was we had no idea what we were getting (laughs) ourselves into. Now, we've done the Inca Trail uh, to Machu Picchu, which is another one of the five top pilgrimages in the world. We have done... Bike rides crossed and up and down Indiana. Yeah, we've ridden across the the state of North Carolina on our bicycles. We've done some pretty... the Dances
2: with Dirt, 100-kilometer relay. relay.
1: Yeah, we've done a lot of stuff, but we physically, emotionally, and spiritually... I mean, all things that came together at one time and were were quite overwhelming, as well as the religious or the spiritual aspect of it. Now, the, the Camino de Santiago is different than any other place on the planet because the Milky Way energy lines perfectly with the Camino Francis energy. So there is an energy presence on that path that is scientific. Saying that, you know, it's interesting because butterflies are a huge part of the Camino. You see them all yeah, over. Right. I actually have a picture somewhere of, we were in four and a half foot of snow in the Pyrenees, and I have a picture of a butterfly on a tree. I mean, that's just, it was just unheard of. It was just, it was amazing. But, you know, as again, we talked about the weather. The weather was, the weather was just a huge factor. You know, we were wet, damp, and cold almost all the time. And to end your day in the rain... And get up the next morning, and the first thing that you hear is the rain pounding on the window, and know that you have to put your wet, damp clothes back on, and step out into this rain. Um, I mean, it ended up, I stopped wearing my raincoat, because it made no difference by the end of the day. (laughs) So, you just step out into the rain, and know that all day long, you're going to be
0: wet
2: wet and pounding rain yeah and then also the fact that we did the trek very early in the season and so a lot of the places weren't open yet and we had a list of places to eat and places to stay that were supposed to be open and we would get someplace after 20 kilometer hike and the place we were going to stay wouldn't be open and we would have to continue on farther. And then there was the food issue, not being able to find enough food. I mean, there were many nights when our dinner was half a chocolate bar and an orange. Gosh! Because the place we got to, they didn't serve dinner until too late. They had that huge siesta in their day, and by eight o'clock, when the places reopened to eat, we were we were done. we done. <laughs> we didn't want to
1: sleep. We didn't. You know, we didn't want to get back out. Uh...
0: You didn't want to get back out into yeah. that? Well, now, that's an interesting point. So, knowing all that, what are some of the enlightening moments that you had?
1: Enlightening moments? Um,
0: you know, when you stopped and took a look around, and, you know, what, it,
1: just well, I something think that
0: took, uh, took your breath away, maybe?
1: There were a lot of moments, especially on the way to Finisterre, that took our breath away. It was definitely the most beautiful, um, it was the most difficult it was, it was as difficult as anything that we hiked in the Pyrenees on the way to Finisterra. Um But again, you know, we were talking about earlier, when, when literally when your day is broken down in where am I going to eat and where am I going to sleep, everything slows down. When you have no phone reception, you have no influence from the outside world, when days go by that you don't really connect with home at all, Everything becomes clearer. Everything becomes brighter. We were able to see things, um, whether it be surroundings or things in each other. And I think for me, bringing that home, you know, when we go hike or when we go bike or whatever that we do, um, you know, I stop and look for the bird that's singing in the tree. I stop to try to see what the woodpecker looks like that we hear. I don't know that I necessarily did that before, but it really helps... To pay attention. Not only to pay attention to your surroundings and what's around you, but to pay attention to the people in your life. And it really was a mindset change of paying attention and living in the moment and slowing down to enjoy the present and the good things at that moment.
2: Yeah, And getting rained on is not that big a deal anymore. Oh, that's true, yeah. So that's an enlightening oh, yeah. part. Yeah, that's true. Like, we're going to yeah. get rained on yeah, Oh whatever. Wow. It's yeah. not that bad. Oh, we don't have a raincoat. Yeah, whatever,
0: Yeah. <laughs> Did you find any enlightening moments that you...
2: Well, I think I struggled a lot with the fact that we were not going to walk all of this way. And um, a couple of things that, that helped me get an aha moment with that was um, when we left Pamplona, it was going to be a really arduous uphill, and so we opted to take a taxi up the hill, which gave us time to do a detour to a 12th century Templar chapel hmm. that the Knights mm-hmm. Templar built in the 12th century. And it was such an amazing experience. I mean, the energy there was so profound and so peaceful. And that was probably the moment where I went, oh, okay, this journey may not be about walking every step of this way, this journey may be about getting to where we're going. And experiencing what comes to us
0: while oh, you're on it, no. the way.
2: Yeah, it was
1: interesting. We were, we were in San Diego after we were done. We talked to several people, and not one person even knew what we were talking about about the church. And it was probably the one of the most impressive, emotional things that yeah. we did because it was a detour. It was off the beaten path, and people weren't going to get off the path. It was maybe ten kilometers Dude. round trip. To get off the path to go see this church. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. It was actually, it was really incredible. And that was definitely one of our, I think, our favorite spots. Yeah.
0: So you found a way on the way.
1: Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's a really good thing to say. Because that, that's the point, And that's the whole point of the, finding your purpose. It is finding your way on the way.
2: Yeah. And realizing oh, that, that what I think is my way may not be the way. Exactly. And letting mm-hmm. the way kind of happen as it comes up and not fighting so hard to make it the way i think it ought to be. Good that point. was probably
1: the biggest learning curve that we both had yeah. was you just have to let it be. You have to be in the present. Take what it is whether it's rain, whether it's snow, whether it's good weather, whether it's happy people, sad people, whether it's happen to get off the, you know, more than once we had to get literally get off the path because of I don't know what a whole group of cows are called, but... a herd. The herd. These whole herds of cows would just be walking up the path. (laughs) And we just, you know, they weren't going to move. Well, that's true.
0: (laughs) So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose. Facebook and give us a like. And don't forget to post what you would like to hear about. So until next week, live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.